Welcome to Writer's Digest Presents. Hosted by the editors of Writer's Digest, this monthly podcast features conversations with writing and publishing experts whose insights will help ignite your creative vision, hone your skills, build your platform, and get your work out into the world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Writer's Digest Presents. I'm Editor-in-Chief Amy Jones, alongside Editor Michael Woodson. Today, we're talking with Byron Lane, author of one of my favorite books of 2023, Big Gay Wedding. Our November-December issue is all about making readers laugh, and this book did exactly that. So I am thrilled to welcome Byron to the podcast. Hi there. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for those kind words. Yeah, I... I couldn't stop talking to Michael about the book after I read it. <laughs> oh, I, uh, yeah, I think I talked his ear off a little bit. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's the biggest compliment to know that you're an annoyance in someone's <laughs> conversation because they won't stop talking about it. It's the, totally. biggest, it's the biggest reward. Well, so because I did love it so much, I wanted you to start off by telling listeners what the book is about. And I'm curious about where the idea for the book came from. Sure. Well, Big Gay Wedding is um, sort of Schitt's Creek meets Father of the Bride, and it's about a conservative wow. mom who runs a rescue ranch for misfit animals in a conservative part of Louisiana, and her son wants to come home and get gay married. Uh, he wants to get married on the family farm. He's gay, and this is a town that's not used to that kind of thing. So really, it's kind of a story about a mother coming out as loving mm. and accepting her, her gay son. Um, and uh, I've been really honored by people's comments and people who um, write to me on Instagram. And sometimes I'll have like a, some straight guy who's like, I just mm. read The Gay Wedding and my wife is mad at me because I keep waking her up laughing. And then, uh, <laughs> another lady wrote me and said, I'm not your demographic. I'm straight. I've got three grown daughters. They're all out in the world. And uh, I find myself crying. Totally. Um, so those are just like, I don't know. It's so rewarding to to get that kind of feedback. Josh and I were just on vacation with my parents and I was uh, reading it on vacation and he had heard me laughing and then he looked up and I was crying and he was like, you were just laughing. Like, what's, <laughs> what are you reading? And I was like, you just have to read this. It is like a real uh, dramedy and you write dramedy so well. And it's not just that like this scene is really funny. And then that scene's really sad. Oftentimes, one scene in this book was, and in A Star is Born, your debut, would have me like cackling and then like getting really, really emotional. For, for you in the process, like what comes first? Is it the comedy or is it the drama? That's a great question. Um, Stephen, my my uh, husband, Stephen Rowley, um, he's also an author of The Celebrants and The Gunkle. And uh, sometimes we can't help ourselves and we'll talk about writing at lunch totally. and dinner. And um, both of us do that kind of try to strike that balance of comedy and drama. And we both sort of write towards the drama because mm. the comedy feels a little more natural for us. So, um, so some like I'm trying to, I'm working on a new book now and I'm thinking, all right, where's the loss going to come from? Where's mm -hmm. the, cause I already know like the, where the funny is going to come from. So I'm like, what's, what's going to happen to these uh, characters that that's going to, um, tug on the emotions. So I, I do try to do that. And there's also this weird balance thing that I, I'm still learning how to juggle, um, especially after A Star is Bored. Sometimes this happens. The, the book came out, uh, people were kind and the reviews were lovely. And, uh, but I have some really smart writer friends who were like, oh, do you notice how in this scene, 
you um, threw in this this moment in the middle of a really dramatic moment. And uh, in some sometimes you you take people out of the emotion with the comedy, or uh, you take people out of the comedy with the emotion. And so it's it's always a little bit of a of a juggling act. And I'm glad mm. you feel like um, it was smooth sailing through some of Big Gay Wedding. Yeah. Well, piggybacking off of that sort of in the process, has there ever been, did you ever decide to like rewrite something from a different emotional perspective? Like after you wrote it, were you like, I think maybe I want to play this more emotional or like, I'm thinking of this in a more comedic way. Hmm. That's a great question. Yeah. I think that definitely happens. I mean, I would put that under the umbrella of just like, this isn't working right. Sure. You know? And, uh, and then you, you, you start to look at, well, what, what choices can I make uh, that are different? So mm-hmm. maybe uh, maybe this conversation doesn't take place in the barn, um, or maybe this isn't a conversation between the mom and the neighbor. Maybe this is a conversation between the mom and the grandpa, yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, who each have their own things going on. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's kind of uh, tossing that stuff around, and then sometimes it's gut. So like there are some parts of Big Gay Wedding that uh, some of my smart uh, writer friends uh, suggested I cut but they made mm. me emotional. And so I was like, I just, I tried to hang on to them and, uh, and just try to trust like, all right, well, if it's making me feel something, I hope it'll make someone else feel something. Yeah. I guess you've kind of answered this, but like, so it, how is your approach to writing comedy different than writing drama? And if so, like how? <laughs> mm. um, like I said, really, it's, uh, I, uh, I, I, in my life and in my writing, comedy and humor are such a big part of it. I just, I don't know how I'd have gotten through so many things that I've gotten through without, um, without comedy. So they really are um, like the actor faces. It really is like both of those things. And um, so, so for example, with Big Gay Wedding, uh, the premise sort of has the comedy built in. Like, you know, you're going to get some gay stuff, you know, you're going to get some, um, country bumpkin type material um you can create these characters with with uh rich backstories like the grandfather who mm. uh is in a nursing home but they watch glee um, i love him so it really is like trying to trying to trying to do both but at the end of the day i the comedy feels like it comes a little easier to me oh wow maybe it's maybe it's a coping mechanism or or whatever like i i tend to go that want to go that way tell a joke and end this argument with my husband. Um, but maybe sometimes it's better to just not say anything and to let, let the emotions um, live, let the tension have life. Wow. That's really interesting because something I was going to ask you is like uh, something I struggle with generally is just like being intentionally funny is hard. Like um, writing a joke feels very hard. And, and in my head, it's like, I think I get in my head too much. I'm like, is this even funny? Am I trying too hard to make this funny? Do you have any advice for that? Like how to make, or maybe even to like shut that up so you can just do it. It's such a dilemma because, um, you, before this chat, I was like, you know what, I'm going to be tacky and I'm going to put the book behind me on the shelf. So I have to (laughs) go to the other room and get the book. And as I'm pulling it off the shelf, I'm like, I wrote this a few years ago. Uh, I haven't really read it uh, in a while, so I hope the questions aren't too deep. Um, <laughs> but it goes to show you, like, you know, you you basically tell a joke. It'd be like a stand-up comedian telling a yeah. joke and then waiting three years or, or so oh, to yeah. hear whether the audience reacts. So it's a real it's a real dilemma. And 
I, so I started my career in journalism mm -hmm. and um, as a TV news writer and reporter in New Orleans. And, um, and I had this friend there named Glenn, who was the, uh, he was the fancy producer. He did the 10 o'clock news. And at that time, like Hoda Kotb, who's now with the Today Show, mm -hmm. she, she was the anchor at the time. So it was a really well-written, crafted show. And Glenn's thing was always, how do you say something in a way that's unexpected and, uh, and different? And, um, and, so the, and also, by the way, people in New Orleans, when we would interview people for the news, so many rich characters, and you never really knew what was going to come out of someone's mouth. And so yeah. when I turned to um, writing for some of, some of these characters, so like uh, Victoria, um, who is the, <laughs> yeah. the mother of one of the grooms, um, I try to... I try to spin things in a way that uh just unexpected so instead of her saying i feel sick she might say "Woo, this wine has given me hives um <laughs> so it's just a way to kind of like what's an unexpected uh way to to say this that's uh authentic to the character and the environment and all that but also maybe will catch people by surprise i was 100 percent surprised every time victoria said something she was <laughs> Like she was the, a riot. Yes, the way like even like her feeling like so like truly sick because of the uh -huh. fresh air was just like so funny. She was really fun to write, and you know, in the back of my head, I was thinking a lot about Lucille Bluth from Arrested Development. Oh yeah, oh um, yeah, totally. So, so I had I and I you know I've always loved these. Uh, I mean, female characters, female sort yeah. of diva adjacent characters have totally. always been mm -hmm. my favorite, even growing up, like Bette Midler in anything, mm -hmm. Lily Tomlin in anything. Um, so, so I'm lucky that I kind of have this affinity for, um, for these people who by some accounts should be hospitalized or in therapy, you know, <laughs> um, but, but they're, they're really fun to write. Yeah. She, she well, she's also a great example of like, something simmering under the surface too like she's so funny mm -hmm. and then when the truth comes out it's like oh she's uh kind of dealing with something and her husband i think is a great example of like that was also really um a surprise too like nothing was like just funny like there was always a purpose behind what all the characters were doing which i thought was like really really lovely and added so much depth to the story Another scene that was really like truly laugh out loud hysterical and then was giving me chills was when Chrissy Barnett's mom um, gets high accidentally and then has like sees her husband and has a conversation with um, Elaine. The It's a sheep, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is like some of her um, describing what she was feeling like what this was when Joshua was like, what are you reading? Because I was like. Uh, truly cackling at the way she was describing what it felt like to be high. And then her conversation with Elaine was so, it gave me chills because it just felt like this really magical moment and like a natural progression from comedy to something with maybe a little bit more purpose. And it also just felt like anything could happen in this book. How did you go about personifying um, like the animal characters in this? Mm. Um you know, I forget where the idea initially came from for naming all these characters, but um, but I heard this thing a while back about people with dementia, that sometimes mm -hmm. people with dementia, for example, forget that they are smokers and they'll oh, wake up in the morning and just never have a cigarette again. And just like, that's it. Wow. And, and I had the thought, oh, I wonder what that might 
what if they're a bigot or a racist? Is it also possible? Because those things are also made wow. up. Uh, you know, it's just like how you choose to see the world or who you choose to hate. Uh, and it's a little arbitrary, you know. And uh, so what if someone wakes up and uh, forgets that they hate gay people or that gay people make, mm. them, make them uncomfortable? And so the, um, uh, the mother of the groom, Chrissy, getting accidentally high uh, afforded me that ability to kind of have someone uh, knock some sense into her. And she's in a place where she um, can hear it. And I can't confirm or deny that I've ever been high, um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I mean, you could equate it with maybe, maybe it's more universal to say when you're drunk and, uh, and something that's really simple can really be totally. mind blowing. Yes. And, uh, and something that you, you hang on to and you can't, you can't shake. And I think that that's an opportunity for growth and change and, and mm. all that. And, and don't we love for, when we see people making big mistakes for someone to come along with a big club and knock them on the head, um, you know, and, uh, and try to set them straight. Totally. I want to talk about Chrissy a little bit more because she was such an interesting character to me. Um, I loved all of her, um, her quirks and her personality traits and her little, yeah. her notebook that she writes down things that needs to be done and all of people's faults. <laughs> <laughs> and that her farm is the polite society farm. And she has all of these specific ideas about how people should behave and comport themselves, especially around other people. But then she's not afraid to go and confront people, um, even at the risk of seeming impolite. Mm -hmm. And um, one of my favorite things that she does is in her mind, every time she thinks of her son, she thinks, oh, Barnett. And I found myself saying that and thinking of it um, in a different tone every time she said it. <laughs> like sometimes I do with my cats. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I wonder, did you have any? Do you have any particular techniques for creating your characters and these interesting personality traits and quirks that they have? Hmm. I'm. I am. I can't tell you how full my heart is hearing you describe these things and. Um, Part of part of it is I'm remembering the hard, the difficulty of writing some of it, mm. and uh, like, what do I call the ranch, and uh, oh, wow. and then what is, why is she not being direct? And so sometimes it was just happy accident. So um, <laughs> she's not being direct because she's polite. Ah, um, let's lean in the polite side ranch thing. Mm. Um, I do try to think. I do try to give characters a little bit of. A catchphrase. I hate to say that. I hate to say. No, that you're word, really but... good at that. You did that in Stars Board too. Thanks. I try to. I try to give. Uh, and and I learned a lot from um, Chuck Palahniuk, uh, who who wrote um, Fight Club and uh, Survivor and all these rich books. And he he is big on um, finding those kind of things to create de devices, uh, mm -hmm. like the use of uh, a careful use of repetition yeah. and all that stuff. So. So my mom was would often say to me, "Oh, Byron," and um, and so I thought that might be a good way to. Uh, and also, it says so much. It mm -hmm. says so yes. much with so little. Um, that was so. That was part of of their journey. And uh, oh, and then when my um, I had a relative who got engaged, and another relative who was concerned about that, and they did keep a list of all the. Oh of all the things they were like, I'm going to talk to him about these things. I have a list. And then indeed they went to lunch and kind of, you know, hashed out this list of concerns. And, um, 
And I remember hearing that story at a time where I was like, I need something. I need, mm. I need to add some kind of um, clock. Uh, Chuck Palahniuk mm. talks about uh, where's the clock, where's the gun in every mm. in every book, and it just he's just talking about escalating stakes and emotional mm. and and tangible stakes. And so when I heard the story, I was like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. Like she can have this growing list of grievances. Um, so those were things that like you know, in the middle of just being frustrated and like, what do I do next? Uh, I hear someone say, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, thank you universe, you know? Yeah, for sure. So aside from Christy, Chrissy, <clears throat> there we've alluded to Victoria and Elaine the sheep, um, but there's also Nicole, Ezra's sister, and Winston, his dad. And this feels like like a true ensemble cast. Mm for the for the story um and there are some i mean yeah chrissy and barnett are are the center of the story i i felt like but it wasn't like these secondary characters were secondary they had full Probably. stories and complete arcs and they um experienced growth in the same way that i think the main characters did um but how did you come up with how did you know that this was the right cast of characters? Were there any that didn't make it into the final book or characters that you had to add in as you drafted? That's a great, um, that's a great question. So I knew obviously a mother and son, and I knew that the son would have a boyfriend and I had a sense of who I wanted those people to be. So Ezra, the, the uh, fiance uh, is very self-helpy and woo woo. Mm -hmm. And I have a part of my personality that's like that. And I do enjoy um, bringing those sort of uh, sometimes wild self-help ideas to books. And one little cheat thing that I do that's kind of like trashy is I'll get the, uh, I'll get the um, uh, you know, internet version of the book and where you can see what sections people have highlighted. And, oh, yeah. uh, and often it's these little self-help things. And uh, it makes me so happy. Um, so I, I look for a way to fit in those things. And so, um, so sometimes I'll, I'll designate a character for that. Uh, another thing I tend to do is uh, kill off a parent. Part of that, so for A Star is Bored, the, the mother of the main character was uh, dead and he had kind of a, a mean father. Hmm. And um, I was trying to kind of pluck from my real life for A Star is Bored and my parents are divorced. And I I couldn't imagine writing uh, for that character, having him having parents who were in a healthy relationship. And so it was just kind of easier to have the mother be dead. And mm. uh, then I, then as I'm writing, I'm like, Oh wow. Well, if the mom is dead. That opens up this whole uh, he's now he's got like mother issues. And so mm. it was a great kind of thing. Um, and so then in a uh, big gay wedding, not having the father present uh, the father's deceased, uh, did a similar thing. It opened, it, it made the story a little bit more um, focused on the mom. And also it gave the mom a little bit of, uh, I hope, uh, a sense of uh, sympathy, feeling uh, sympathetic yeah. for this lady who, so the father was in Big Gay Wedding, it was really uh, uh, homophobic. Yeah. And so uh, I hope that readers almost got a sense of, did Chrissy, was she given these feelings? Like, did she, was she a lady who was in a relationship where it was just easier for her to be like, 
okay, yeah, let's be angry about this. Whereas if he wasn't, if the father wasn't there the whole time or wasn't homophobic, would there, would her and Barnett's relationship have been different? And um, so that's why, that's why that guy, that's why the dad isn't present in the story. And, um, and then the sister, I kind of needed a, um, she was so funny too. I needed, thank you. I needed a, uh, like a wedding planner. Um, <laughs> so, um, Father of the Bride, the movie with Steve Martin, mm-hmm. was uh, a little bit of an inspiration for some of this. And in that movie, they have um, Martin Short, who plays Frank, uh, like the crazy wedding planner. And so I thought that maybe there was room for for a character like that. And um, and then as you go along, sometimes things just hit you. So so at one point, I was asking myself, well, why is Nicole so excited about this wedding? Uh, and then it suddenly opens this door for her to have her own longing and her own mm-hmm. feeling of like, she'll never have one. And, um, uh, and then for the uh, Winston and Victoria's relationship, this is a little bit of like, it worked out, but it's a little totally. lazy. Um, the idea of having to manage Winston and Victoria talking in scenes was so <laughs> overwhelming. It's like you'd have a dinner scene and you've got all these characters and I'm like, can he, I just don't, I just don't want to write anything for him. I don't want him to say anything. <laughs> and so it became like, uh, you know, a process of like, oh, I see, I see what we can do um, with this and take her struggles and then um, his not talking. And then, and then at the end kind of, tied into something a little bit neat. It was just a lot of happy accidents, guys. Oh, wow. But like with Winston, he was so present. Like even yeah. though he he wasn't speaking, he was so present and there that when I figured out that he hadn't been speaking, I had to go back and double check. I'm like, he really wasn't. But he was so present. I love that. Um, yeah. I think that was like a twist or a, I mean, it's not a traditional twist in the sense of what we talk about with like thriller books, but um, it was something unexpected that I thought was really well done and and totally caught me by surprise. Yes, Amy, I completely agree with you. And like how you say like that was not in the same sense as like a thriller genre, but like I think that's when surprises feel so surprising is when you Mm -hmm. like truly like there's an aspect of like reading a mystery thriller like there's going to be a twist here or or something and so the the little um twists that were sort of peppered throughout this they really like hit like Mm -hmm. like a a gut punch like even like sort of papa's reveal i don't really want to give away Mm -hmm. too much so i won't but like Papa in general just kept being such a surprise. I love, he's one of my favorite characters. And I think he, another scene that I think was like, the description of it being Schitt's Creek and Father of the Bride, I think is perfect. And like, mm-hmm. uh, tells me I could really like recommend this to literally anybody. Like, I think anybody could love this. And that scene where he is um, stealing his friend's clothes was just so funny. And then is so so lovely and touching and it Mm -hmm. reveals a lot about um like papa but not even just him but like it reveals a lot about the people around him and um his relationship with chrissy and then his relationship with his um dead son and you saying that about uh with a stars board how his mother was um dead and his father was 
emotionally abusive and then in this book his father is dead and emotionally abusive mm. um <laughs> but is not not complicated because barnett really in thinking about him seems like he still like truly loved his dad and chrissy also like uh, can't help but like love this man who knows loved her a lot. And I think that like, there's no question here. I just want to say like, like the, the um, intentional complication of characters and their relationships, I think was just like, I think people get nervous about adding that into stuff that is comedic because it can be naturally maybe a little bit more serious, but um, it doesn't have to be one or the other. I think they can uh, live at the same time. Wow. Michael, you're making me sound really smart. Um, well. But the truth is um, these characters kind of feel real to me. Yeah. They're, they're not exactly based on real people, but my life growing up in Louisiana was really complicated like that emotionally where people were uh, so nice and then also racist mm -hmm. and so kind. And then also they hate gay people. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've never known, uh, I didn't know gay people growing up. And in fact, I remember the first time I heard the word lesbian, my mind was blown. Yeah. And someone talking about uh, someone, oh, she's a lesbian. And I thought the word was a lesbian, like she's yes. an, a lesbian. Like well, I didn't even know how to spell it. And it, so it was just um, a lot of confusing, a lot of confusing things growing up in the South where this idea of being polite really mm -hmm. did mask um, a lot of things. And you could mm -hmm. have people who were big personalities and you wanted to be around them and they made great food and they, you know, all this stuff. And then, uh, then you find out, oh gosh, you know, um, these people are complicated. And um, uh, so I do feel like um, some, of, some of these characters are written just as I kind of knew Observation, people. yeah. Yeah. I think that Chrissy's, um, like her perception of her neighbor is a great example of that because she assumes something about her and assumes the worst of her and then is like her her neighbor's like wasn't me I'm a lesbian like it was all it was like also puts the reader to task in being like okay what are your preconceived ideas about people because I that surprised me a lot and, and it shouldn't have mm -hmm. yep that's what it was like growing up down there. You, you know, you, I mean, I make jokes now, like for ladies who are in, uh, who I knew rural growing up with the short hair and they were tough and they were feeding horses and riding tractors and all that. And you're like, Oh my God, speaking of lesbian, like, and it's not the case. Like, so it totally. was, it was, um, it's sort of opposite, um, homophobia or whatever. Right. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that those were surprising moments. And those are things that I've experienced in my own life. Just like, wow, people really are complicated. And we really mm -hmm. do have misconceptions. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that, too, was with the um, Chrissy's, uh, the pastor at her, yeah. at her church or the father at her church. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she had relied on him for so long and what she thought of as her community. And, you know, I have a lot of complicated thoughts about religion because of, you know, related to stuff like that. And I thought that those scenes with him were in a similar way, very interesting, showing the complexities of what you are taught when you are involved in a, in an organized religion versus mm -hmm. what your life outside of that is like, and what you come to expect from those people who are supposed to be your community mm -hmm. um and then who who shows up 
at the end of the day. And I thought that that was one of my favorite scenes. And that was a moment where I was (laughs) laughing and then crying and then laughing again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Religion is so complicated, Mm y'all. And uh, I (laughs) have a friend who talked about this very meaningful experience she had um, traveling overseas and she was at this monastery and this monk was just like sent from heaven. It was just like the most magical experience. And then she goes outside and she walks around and like, she looks and like there he is behind some dumpsters, like smoking a cigarette. Uh And it's like the humanity, you know what I mean? And, um, so I, I, I hope that in the, the scenes with the the priest who she called father perfect, like Mm -hmm. it was, you know, And then to suddenly see like um, these people who we um, think of as so, and you know, we think of parents sometimes that way too, as so Mm -hmm. perfect the way kids look at parents and then um, a congregation might look at a a pastor and see, oh, they're smoking back by the dumpster after all, you know? (laughs) Right, right. So I want to change gears a little bit and talk about... um, like the publication of this book, because we always like to celebrate when an author's debut book comes out because it can be years or decades in the making. But the second book often has challenges too, even if they're entirely different challenges. So, and this is your second published novel. I don't know how many drawers, uh, books you have in the, in a drawer that will never see the light of day, <laughs> two. but I wondered, <laughs> Oh, two. That's not too bad. No, yeah. no, it's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I wondered how is the experience of the publication of this one and the writing experience different? Because I, mm. I assume like what was harder, what was easier? Mm. Cause it might not be what Gosh. we expect. If they really were different experiences. So the first one was sort of inspired by real life. So I was an assistant to Carrie Fisher. And so A Star is Bored really was, um, I had kind of a blueprint for what a relationship like that would look like for, for um, an assistant to a sort of uh, wild celebrity. And, um, and then, all right, so I would do, I did a draft of A Star is Bored. And like I said, I started my writing career in journalism. So I was used to telling stories in three sentences, you know, right. and uh, making uh, a house fire every night in New Orleans, it seemed like there was a house fire. And so on the morning news, how do you make another house fire story interesting and, um, and brief? So that's how I, mm. I got my start is like, keep it tight, keep it interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I, then I try to write a novel and uh, I hired a couple of freelance editors to give me feedback and help me understand a novel structure, um, what, what, what this looks like. And I got lots of great advice about um, stakes. And do you see how if you mm. move this chapter here, you create a sort of mm. uh, up and down momentum? Or if you delete this scene, do you see how you create uh, tension? And so A Star is Bored, a lot of the work was really in rewriting and restructuring. Um, And it felt like, it did feel like I was going through um, college, learning how to Mm -hmm. write a long format thing like that. So um, so Star is Bored got published, and then I had a two-book deal with Henry Holt. And so I was trying to figure out what the second book would be, and I had this idea for a family drama, and I was just like, I'm just going to write it. And so I wrote it and then I sent it in and people were like, whoa, this is a lot of drama. Um, I'm not sure that's the right fit for, at the right time and, you know, all that stuff. And so then I learned, all right, well, this is a great lesson to be more communicative with my agent, with my mm-hmm. editor, 
um, the publisher about what they're what they're looking for, what what I can bring to the table, what kind of stories um, I can tell that are meaningful to me, and mm-hmm. and also um, sellable, like you know that kind of thing. Totally. So it's keeping a, a little bit of an of an ear on what's going on in the marketplace and. I had just gotten uh, married to my partner, Stephen, and we had a little gay wedding. Um, it really <laughs> was just us. And uh, one of my best friends was the officiant and because uh, and, COVID was happening. So we also didn't want, well, didn't want as strong, but we, we couldn't invite everyone. We couldn't have like a big party. And then mm-hmm. when we thought, well, gosh, if we just hurry and do it, then we don't ever have to worry about uh, having this big party and the expense and the drama and seating charts. And all that. Anyway, so we had a little gay wedding and my editor saw, saw that and was like, what if there was a story about a big gay wedding? And mm. at first I was a little resistant because a cliche things popped in my head. When I think of big gay wedding, I really do think of like a Manhattan extravaganza. Sex and the City know. 2 opening scene. I think of Sex and the City 2, <laughs> yes. And I'm like, <laughs> the idea of having to write that is like, oh my God. Um, but then I started thinking about my own life and I was like, well, what if, um, you know, what if it's in Louisiana and what if it's this mom? And, and so, and I was really lucky that my, my editor, Henry Holt, James Malia was, uh, uh, worked with me on early concepts. So like there was a, an early draft where the mother was, uh, poor and the, the farm was not, uh, was kind of dilapidated. And he, he asked, well, why would she want to give him a farm that's, run down you know and what is wow. he and just things like that made me think and and then there's also like a, a lazy writer part of me that's like oh well if money is really not an issue like that does solve a lot of it does solve a lot of problems um and make make it easier to stick to an emotional story without having to have some side element of like fundraising um so that, that those were the that's the really the origin of this big gay wedding story and uh, the character stuff was so fun to write. Mm-hmm. Um, the hardest thing to write was the actual wedding um, <laughs> because of the uh, you know I had some resistance to just the um, what do I want to say nuts and bolts of the ceremony sure. of getting guests in. Um, how do you do all that in a way that's interesting? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the elements that are going to be the extravaganza, you know, um, where did they come from? And so I, I don't know, some of that stuff was just uh, having to turn to imagination and totally. how do you, how do you transform a farm into like a cool venue? And um, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm rambling, but that was no, sort of, I, I love this. I know, that so was, I. <laughs> those, that's kind of like the real life version of it. Like I wrote a whole, uh, a whole novel that they, that no one wanted. And then, um, of course, like wasn't right for the time, that kind of thing. And I hope maybe I can revive it at a later, yeah. at a later date. But, uh, but yeah, so I wrote a whole thing in between. And then it was my editor who had this idea about a gay wedding. And then I have to decide what do I bring to the table? What, what of this kind of story is in my wheelhouse? And, um, and then a little back and forth and talking to my mom on the phone and hmm. figuring out what I was like as a kid and trying to see what I can include and researching sheep. That was a part of it too. And, <laughs> totally. uh, you know, so you just kind of pick up these little things. Mm-hmm. It's interesting you say that because Amy and I were on Slack yesterday talking about like, I don't know how I'm going to, we had a hard time like mi- keeping the questions down to a shout because I would talk yeah. to you all night about this book if I could. And one of the things we were talking about was how, um, 
you saying how like thinking a big gay wedding, you think Manhattan, you think Sex and City too, and you didn't want to do that. And then place was so important to this book. And I can't imagine. And I think like the juxtaposition of this big extravaganza in a place where you wouldn't expect it is one of like the really like shining things about this book that I love so much. And like, I really like place and setting in fiction. It's like, I think my favorite thing to read and my favorite thing to write. And mm. um, I was like in reading the description of this book, I didn't anticipate the the setting being so mm. important. And it's, it is like the beating heart of the, of, of the story. The backdrop is really important to this one. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad you, I'm glad you felt that way. I do try to lean on mm. like what feels authentic to me. And uh, you know, I never lived in New York, even though it's like a little fantasy but, uh, but I know the South and I know that vibe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you talked about the differences in writing the two books. What about the actual, like once the book is out into the world, um, mm -hmm. how was releasing a second book different from the first? Because there, I would imagine that you have different expectations with your first book versus your second and readers who have read your first book might have expectations too. Yeah, it's funny. Um, so the first book was so personal uh, mm. with the, the Carrie Fisher angle that I was really um, nervous about reaction because I loved her yeah. mm -hmm. and, uh, and I wanted people to love her too. And I didn't want people to think I was exploiting her. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was really nervous about that. So my first, also... This is crazy, but it was. It came out in 2020. I had just finished chemo for testicular cancer. I'm fine now. I have a cool fake testicle, um, <laughs> and no more cancer. Um, but That's but great. I had just finished that, so I like all oh, my hair fell out. I was sick. I gained a bunch of weight, uh, and then uh, then COVID happened. So bookstores were closed. Right. Um, it really was the dawn of like Zoom book Everything. author events. Yeah. yeah. So it was really a, really a different landscape. And my husband, he had published several books already before that. And I had seen him go on tour and, and have these experiences at bookstores and all that. And then when my first one came out, I couldn't do any of that. And um, so in some ways it took pressure off, but the pressure yeah. was on in my own heart mm -hmm. because I, I, of this, um, this personal angle. And so when, a star, when a Big Gay Wedding came out, I really feel like I had um, healthier expectations. Like, pandemic could happen at any second. Um, people could love it or hate it. I was a little bit nervous that the gay part of it was gonna uh, get some blowback, but I really didn't uh, experience any of that firsthand. Um, when we were doing the cover design, there was some talk about um, how gay the cover should be or could be. And um, I remember at one point feeling like, hey, can't these guys be, you know, really gay? Like, where's the, <laughs> and someone with the marketing was like, Byron, <laughs> I don't know what it's like on street corners in Palm Springs or Los Angeles, but, you know, in the middle of the country in, you know, in real life, like having two guys holding hands is sort of its own kind of uh, active, yeah. active bravery and mm -hmm. activism and, um, and so I did go into it thinking, you know what, even if it's just having this cover with a couple of guys holding hands, um, that feels that feels like an important accomplishment to me. So I tried to go into the second one with um, with low expectations and uh, 
And my goodness, like hearing from you two, like, I'm like, oh, wow, maybe this book <laughs> is really good. I don't know. Like, it, it really is like, it's so, it's so lovely to hear these, oh. hear these things. Thank you for that. Easy to Absolutely. do. We, oh, we yeah. have the easy job. Like, oh, we yeah. get to be like, wow, this was incredible. Let's hope he mm -hmm. wants to talk to us about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, well, and also, I just, as you're talking about that, I forgot that this came out. You mentioned Stephen, and I'm in love with both of you. And I, um, this came out on the same day as his new book, too, right? So wild. Yes. Yeah. His was supposed to come out before, I think, a couple of weeks before. It's possible mine. No, I think, yeah, I think his had to move because he was selected um, by uh, Jenna Bush Hager um, mm. Today Show Book Club. Mm -hmm. And so that forced uh, the date, his, his pub date to change. And so that was another thing that was really, really special. Um, I don't know if that's ever happened for right. husbands to have both books come out on the same day. We have different publicists, different publishers, different editors. Uh, wow. the whole, everything's different. It really was just like a happy accident. And so to get to go with him and do events with him was yeah. It was really fun. He's really fun. Um, the experience was great. And I, I didn't stress. I was like, you're in charge. <laughs> you're driving us to the bookstore. I'm not even oh, looking yeah. it up. You know, there was a nice. little bit of like um, those kind of things. And, and uh, it was really fun. It was really fun. Okay. So you mentioned Stephen and I, mean, I love his books too. And I'm, I'm always curious about writers who live with other writers like, how do you make that work? Um, are you each other's first readers? Do you bounce ideas off of each other? Do you have rules about, like, rules <laughs> about when you will show each other your work or what kind of feedback you offer each other in order to maintain the peace mm -hmm. at home? Yeah, it really is. Um, I mean, I feel really lucky. Of course, I think this is because I've had years of therapy and that's what I bring to the table. Um, <laughs> And that's why we never fight. It's because I am a saint. But uh, <laughs> but we, we're great communicators. Stephen yeah. is so great and generous. And um, and yeah, we, we read each other's work. We're the first readers. And hmm. um, and uh, and then we we give notes. The notes giving is one area where um, I think we both learn as we go a little bit. Like, okay, mm -hmm. what is he asking for? Is he asking for notes? Is he asking for joke punch-ups? Um, mm. Is he asking for um, things that are big changes? Right. Uh, like, what are the what are the, what's the time frame? So, like, if his book is due, I know, like, oh, well, I'm not going to give him a note about like, oh, instead of having this in Morocco, make it uh, Tennessee, you know, <laughs> like things like that. So, <laughs> so you do kind of find where they are, and I think he does this for me too, since. Uh, emotionally what the other person needs like mm -hmm. sometimes you just need like this is great keep going or sure. uh, or more of this more of this and um not to not sometimes not to overwhelm sometimes to push uh so there it really is a little bit of a balancing act and um uh, and and finding out where where we can be of real service to each other yeah for sure yeah, I love that. Um, so and then the writing on separate sides of the house, that's another thing oh, too. Yeah. So like, <laughs> I don't want to hear him chewing gum. Uh, he doesn't <laughs> want to hear me like humming. You know, it's like that kind of thing. And we're lucky because our house is pretty quiet and he writes on one side and I write on the other and then we'll meet in the middle for lunch. And Oh, that's um, really, that's so romantic. Yeah, isn't it's it? really sweet. It's, yeah. I'm, isn't it gross? We're gross. No, it's we're perfect. Gross. No. It's working out. It's working out. Yeah. 
Oh, I'm very happy to hear that. <laughs> Need to take notes. Separate areas. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. My last question is, you mentioned you were working on something else. Are you able to tell us anything about it? Gosh, I wish I could, I wish I could tell you, but the truth is I've got like three pots on oh, the wow. stove. I'm, oh, I'm really trying to figure out uh, what to do next. And sometimes for me, that really depends on um, like sometimes just little things will happen and mm. suddenly a story gets a whole new texture and becomes uh, totally, totally personal in a, in a new way. Sometimes it's just from talking to my mom on the phone, like I mentioned earlier, or um, sometimes going to the grocery store and you see some weirdo in front of you and you're like, oh, yes, mm-hmm. now I know. Um, so I'm not exactly sure what the next, next one will be, but I, I am writing, um, I'm, write, I'm in the process of writing outlines for, for three ideas. And so we'll, we'll oh, wow. see what sticks and maybe it won't be any of those. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, that's kind of where I am. I'm in uh, writer purgatory. Oh, I mean, perpetually. I've never finished a thing, so. Um, Same. <laughs> has, there, has there been any, I can see this and Sarah's board being like very easily adapted into oh, yeah. something. Have you heard any interest in that? Or are you interested in that at all? Oh, yeah, for sure. So um, there's been some talk about uh, Star's Board as a TV series, which I'm really excited about. Yeah. And so um, I'm, in, I'm in talks with some uh, producers about that possibility. Awesome. Um, Big Gay Wedding feels like a movie to me. Yes. And, uh, and to be honest, it kind of feels like, uh, is this tooting my own horn in a weird way or something? But it feels like it could be an important movie. Totally. I mean, um, the coming, the coming out story we've seen in the world, but for me, the idea of a of a parent coming out and coming to terms with their kid being gay and coming out accepting and loving their kid uh, feels like a feels like we're in a moment where that's a mm-hmm. that's a story that uh, we haven't seen and could be could be important to to some people. Yes, Absolutely. I love it. I, I something I meant to say this earlier was that. Um, when I was reading this, Josh was asking, like, how's, how is it? I was like, it's really good. Um, I'm, I hope Chrissy has a change of heart soon because, like, it's hard to read, like, mm-hmm. as it should be, a homophobic character. And it just made, like, her, uh, um, it's kind of like in a scary movie, like at the end when the main character isn't scared anymore, you aren't either watching it. And so like once she starts to like get like really like find her voice with like how she actually feels, you, you read it like to like, yeah, fuck yeah, like I love Chrissy. <laughs> like this is your moment and you're really yeah. taking it. It brings up some other another weird element of this whole thing. And, and I also experienced it with A Star is Bored where people were like, oh, that movie star character is really a lot. And I'm like, <laughs> what? Like, I love her. Yeah, totally. you know? yeah. And then, and then um, so in real life, my mom is uh, not homophobic at all. She's very loving, but I do yeah. have other family members who yeah. are difficult. And, um, and also when, when people do describe her, Chrissy, as homophobic um, and being her position being hard to read about, um, it, it it triggers the same thing in me that's like oh well, like i lived that and totally. i think maybe other other gay people can relate too like this sense of like uh yeah yeah it sucks doesn't it like that that's <laughs> yeah good good catch 
You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. um, so it's it's interesting. Um, it's another surprise. It does. It is making me think a lot about um, how uh, how trauma maybe is internalized mm. in me that's coming out in in the books and mm. um it's something i haven't really thought a lot about that it but it feels very natural to me chrissy felt very natural to me and mm. uh in star is bored the movie star character felt very real and natural to me and um so i don't know yeah interesting you guys are you guys are giving me something to talk about in therapy this is gonna be, <laughs> it's gonna be an interesting week yeah 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 that's all yeah. i had i love you and Steve and I loved getting to meet you guys in person a while ago and I hope to see you guys again someday so that was so great yeah yeah I hope we can hang out again soon I, yeah. I'm, I you're great Michael hi to Josh and Amy thank you for chatting with me this was really special absolutely thank you so much for coming on I appreciate it it was a pleasure to talk to you anytime Thank you for listening to Writer's Digest Presents. We'll be taking a break for the month of December, but we'll be back in January with our best writing advice from 2023 to help you start the new year right. In the meantime, you can always find us on social media at Writer's Digest or on our website, writersdigest.com. See you next time. Bye.